Welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we unravel the mysteries, the universe's hidden patterns, and the fundamental laws that govern them. I'm your host, Mitchell, joined by my usual co-host, Tom. How are you, Tom? Oh, I'm good, thanks, mate. You? I'm, I'm still surviving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week, we journey into the fascinating realm of quantum mechanics and quantum things there, there are multiple things that we will cover this this uh, this episode where the laws of physics take on a whole new dimension from superpositioning and entanglements to quantum computing and teleportation we'll delve into the mind-boggling concepts that challenge our classical understanding of reality get ready to embark on a mind-expanding adventure into the quantum frontier spicy you can follow us yeah it was a bit of a spicy intro that's why i wanted to get it right for those that you know uh, that was the second attempt with my, <laughs> my ill brain. Um, so you can follow us at Twitter, Info Entry Pod, Instagram, Information Entry Pod, Spotify, iTunes. We are just search the Information Entry Pod and we will appear. If you give us a rating and some feedback, we appreciate it. Gets us to the masses. Sorted. How are you doing, Done. Tom? How's Nailed it going this it. week? Good. Nailed it, yeah. Just uh, smooth, sailing, smooth, smooth husky sailing. Yeah, low, that's what we want. Low voice. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't a filter. That's a chest infection. <laughs> yeah. For when you want that deep, low, it sounds like I've smoked a, a 10 packs a day for the past two years. <laughs> that's um, where I am. But no, I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm ready to quantify some science oh. today. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. It's bad and you should feel bad. Uh, I do feel bad, <laughs> but I, I thought about it and I was like, I'm not on the intro. I can, I can thumb it in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you're packing up a sleeping bag just thumbing it in, <laughs> thumbing it in. <laughs> why does that tickle me so much oh because uh. everyone that's been camping everyone knows the pain of packing off a sleeping bag into a sleeping bag bag um <laughs> yeah you just gotta thumb that shit in it's just like oh fist. you're just pushing it down into the corners it's not going Eventually, you get to the top, tying up as much as you can, and you got the, the the zips, not the zips, but like the the pull ties on the side to try and make it as small as possible. Yeah. Oh my lord, we've all been there. We've all been there. Hysterical. This is why and we you, shouldn't record two yeah, episodes you, in, in a row. Oh, dude, you're pissed off because it's a Sunday morning. It's been raining on you the whole time. Everything's damp. Oh, you, yeah. your arm has been touching the outside of the tent. So it's all come through. <laughs> Yeah, you woke up and accidentally leant forward a bit too much. You've got a forehead of wet <laughs> condensation. <laughs> drips on everything else. Sweat. Oh dear. That's a fun time. <clears throat> I have been camping in a while. Have you not? No. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. Yeah, I do enjoy a bit of camping. Mm-hmm. Normally yeah. I forget. It's like one thing I normally forget when we go camping. And when Grace and I went oh, a while ago... It was the inflatable mattress. Oh, that's a good time. The thing you sleep on. Yeah. yeah. So we had to like, I took a duvet, so we had to like make this like duvet inflatable bed um, pillow kind of thing to sleep on. It was fine. It works out, right? Yes. Yeah, it, so it adds out, to the right? fun of camping, you know? Yeah. Something has to go wrong. That's like what camping is. Camping is just a series of <clears throat> unfortunate events that turn out successful in combination. Yeah. When you look back. Yeah. Like, oh, that was, oh, fun, that was, that was a good was time. Fun. That was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. They, they stopped while camping. Well, they didn't stop it. They, they tried to reduce it on uh, Dartmoor. I think it's a bit sad. Yeah. The, well, I know the law, the law changed, didn't it? Up here, camping yeah, is there is slightly one, different. There's one asshole. Yeah, it's one prick. One prick that was just like, I don't want them on my land. So, and I don't want them here near my land. And we don't really know who owns this land. So they're not allowed to do it anymore. So I'm not sure what happened with that. <clears throat> I think you can, unless they state otherwise. So if someone doesn't, I, I, I think it was the, the law got changed saying you weren't allowed to do it, right? But then a lot of other estate owners were like, "Oh no, you can camp here," because yeah. they were giving the permission. Um, in in Scotland, it's different though. Uh, since the Land Reform Act of 2003, you have the right to roam and are allowed to camp on most unenclosed land. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we've still got wild camping up here and, you know, people just camp on beaches and we'll just go up to the highlands and camp because they're, they're crazy people. Uh, in the winter as well, it, that's, a, that's another type of 
crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, fun people. Got some stories. Only got eight toes. <laughs> uh, no, I joke. I joke. Right. Yeah. What's the, what's the news of the day? News of today. You'll like this. It's to do with Formula One racing. I don't really Ooh. care for it, but it's it's interesting. So Formula One race car drivers. I don't know why I'd, I said that. That I said those words in that sentence in that order. Um, they tend to blink at the same places in each lap. Makes sense. It makes sense. But uh, yeah, be looking where you're going when you're going that fast. Yeah. So if you didn't know, the world goes dark for about one fifth of a second every time you blink. A fraction of an instant that's hardly noticeable to most people. But for a Formula One race car driver traveling at up to 354 kilometers an hour, that one fifth means the almost 20 meters of lost vision. Yeah. And brake points are very precise. <laughs> yeah, terrifying to think about. Uh, considering how often people blink, up to 30 times every minute, a driver could lose as much as 595 meters over a third of a mile worth of visual information per minute drive, uh, due to drink, uh, blinking. Oh, been drinking. Uh, neck and pint. <laughs> Hope they're not drinking. Um, yeah, which is, seems a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah, like nearly half a kilometer. Especially when you're being so precise, right? Like when you're minutes. when you pick your turning point, your braking point, when you're overtaking. I mean, I know gamers blink less. Well, that's just a general thing, right? Because you don't pay attention. Yeah, know. when you're gaming, I think they tend to blink like a third less when you're not because you're trying to take in all the information like when you're concentrating your brain just goes ah i need to concentrate taking visual information just makes you blink less i've definitely got dry eyes <laughs> whilst gaming before uh, yeah 100%. super extreme intense uh and it's because of that uh, so i imagine it'd be the same for formula one pilots right mm. they blink less and then they also know when they really need to be spotting the breaking point so they'd make sure unconsciously that they've blinked before that. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, uh, Nisha Zono, a NTT communications science laboratory in Atu Atsugi in Japan, was inspired to study how pro humans process information during physical activity in his past as a professional racing cyclist. He was surprised to find that almost no literature on blinking behavior in active humans, even through under extreme conditions like motor racing or cycling, uh, existed. Uh, so he partnered with the Japanese Formula Car racing team to examine how humans blink during high-speed driving. Uh, him and his colleagues mounted eye trackers on the helmets of three drivers and had them drive three formula circuits. So uh, Fuji, uh, Suzuka, and Sugo for a total of 304 laps. And where the driver's blinks were surprisingly predictable, the team found, the drivers had a shared pattern of blinking that had a strong connection with acceleration, such as the drivers tend to not blink while changing speed or direction, like on a curve or the track, but did blink while on a relatively safer straightaways, which makes sense. The finding highlights the trade-off between keeping your eyes moist and not losing vision during crucial tasks. Oh, well, uh, the next sense. one to explore what process in the brain allows or inhibits blinking in a given moment, he says. Uh, and it's also interesting how blinking behavior varies among the general populace. Yeah. So blinking is one of those strange behaviors that we can exert voluntary. So this is slight overlap with my PhD here. So weirdly, um, it's one of those weird behaviors where we can exert voluntary behavior or like involuntary just innate behavior like if someone flicks a piece of paper at you or scares you you blink it's just a natural reaction protect the eyes that kind of stuff but also mm -hmm. you can if you consciously think about it inhibit your blinking or blink more flutter your eye eyelids that kind of stuff wink even yeah so it's this weird like, behavior if you, if you say to someone don't think about blinking right now they've become painfully aware of how much they're blinking oh when you said about the you lose one fifth of a second of darkness where when you blink i became immediately aware of like how dark it actually becomes when you blink <laughs> <laughs> um so it's, it's like a weird spectrumy space of voluntary and not behavior so the the, the neuro mechanisms behind that are actually super interesting but i, I won't bore people with 
that stuff anyway. Not on today's not today, episode. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, not today's episode. Maybe on a later episode, but yeah. not today. People have come for the quantum quantum mania. If quantum you will, mania. So. Have you seen that? I haven't. No, I'm just, oh, I watched it last night. What day is it? Uh, I've I've gone off Sunday. Marvel for, for a ago. time. That's fair. That's um, fair. It's just a lot, isn't it? It is. It's it is a. It's a lot. B. The latest stuff is just rubbish. Really, it's not that good. Oh, that's fair. I feel the, like, the, like uh, visually stunning. A lot of the Marvel stuff this these days, especially Quantumania, if you're into like sci-fi, that kind of stuff, visually incredible. Plot, eh? Yeah, like <laughs> um, actually, what was what's phase, what's phase phase is it phase three now? I think we're phase four now. I can't, I can't remember what phase we are. Uh, oh, phase four. Yeah, here we go. Phase four. Budget is $1.5 billion. That's always always nice. You've got Black Widow, the movie, which was meh. Well, I've, had reviews. I've had a lot of people who really like that. But I was oh, in the, I I was in the meh category as well. Yeah, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I thought that was really good. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Eternals, I thought it was quite quite good but i really was... enjoyed that historically yeah, it, it was amazing it was... okay it's a bit oh, of a slow burn one of the thi- yeah one of the things that bugged me about that is the oh what do they call them the thing that was being born the celestial that was being born from earth oh, and his yeah. giant hand that came out of the sea it's not mentioned in any other kind of marvel thing no i just i'm unsure where it sits on the timeline is it further along and then I the other know. stories I, I thought they were, they were just doing, into it. They or? were doing like release was like the, that's the timeline. Now. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Doing don't mess around. Um, um, I really, I really Spider-Man rated no it. Way Home. No way home was good. Uh, the, the latest Doctor Strange, absolutely fucking rubbish. Again, visually impressive. Visually impressive story was so rubbish and literally didn't do anything. Uh, and the whole they changed the story to. Uh, make Scarlet Witch the, the bad guy right at the end and blah 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 blah, blah. Well, not that good. I think it's kind of one of those introductions to the multi like obviously the multiverse and uh, is just it's like the next thing they're going to hit on right in phase 5 or whatever like Loki was like an introduction to that as well just to try and explain it how it works and what exists out there that's what it felt like but to waste Doctor Strange's entire movie just to set that up was a bit disappointing yeah. Yeah, a bit disappointing. And uh, they did Scarlet Witch Day, in my opinion. Um, there were some absolute bangers, though. You got uh, WandaVision. It was really Incredible. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I just didn't really get it. It was okay. Yeah, it was, it was more like a political fallout from yeah. Captain America disappearing, which I thought was good. Because um, they had to type the loose ends of the... Winter Soldier program. Well, that's true. Uh, Loki, phenomenal. That was fantastic. They stole uh, my idea, but it was great. <laughs> the, uh, what If, the series, if you're into the animated stuff, that was pretty good. I've not seen it, that. It, it, I explored some of the other like comic book things that happened. Okay. Like, the zombie outbreak is a comic that they turned into the What If. It was quite, quite good. Yeah. Hawkeye was tepid. Well, that's the series, right? With um, yeah, the series. What's her face? With what's her face? Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, Moon yeah. Knight. Great. Yeah, it was it was okay. Interesting concept. Uh, yeah, big big fan of the old Egyptian stuff. So yeah, uh, Ms. Marvel. Meh. Honestly, I love the concept. Love the and concept. I love the setup. The first few episodes were great, and then it just kind of my interest for it tailed off. Are you joking? Absolute opposite. First few episodes of it just being a teen drama, I was like, I'm ready to turn this off. And then it got into the whole, like, the history of things, and it got interesting. Maybe. Um, I think it was just like, oh, this is great that this is kind of being shown this way, and I'm really excited for this character. I think that's what carried me through the first few episodes, and I never got to the bit where it got exciting. Okay. Uh, And then we had uh, She-Hulk, which they did. dirty. I watched one episode. Yeah. Never went back. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. Then we got the Guardians of the Galaxy, 
movie. Yeah, that was okay. Which was pretty pretty good. Yeah, I'd say so. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard I've heard good things. I've heard good things. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, and I probably won't. I probably won't. Oh, I'm not like for me to go to the cinema. It has to be something like either cheap or like I've I've wanted to watch it that much. I thought you'd seen it because you were like, "Oh, take tissues. It's gonna be sad." So I was like, "Oh, no, you, just, you must have seen, seen it." I, I've seen enough, and I, I know the stories. So oh, I see. Oh right. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, oh, that's it was okay. that's me. What I went to see <laughs> the D and D movie. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd gone to see that. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. So many small details in it meant that it was really good. When oh, I went to see great. it, I was like, oh, this is just, they, they wanted to do something and they did it well. It's not oh, going to win good. any awards, but it was really good for what they to do. And then post-watching it, those details came out and I was like, actually, no, they did really well because they've like paid attention. Like in the combat, they all, there's a, like in, so in Dungeons and Dragons, there's like a, you, there's an initiative order. So you all roll to see who goes where in, in a fight. And you go stop the bottom and it starts over again. In all the fights, they fight an initiative. Oh, do they? Like when they do the when they, they do the attacks, yeah, they go from top to bottom and then they go back to the top and they fight again. That's great. Okay, I look I look forward to seeing it then. I've managed to avoid most trailers and things because I wanted to go see it and then I did that thing where I didn't go see it. Fun times. <laughs> Fun times. <clears throat> right, the quantum, so quantum realm. Then, yeah, what is quantum in physics? The definition in physics i think it's one of those words right i mean hence why we've just been speaking about popular culture for the last 15 minutes <laughs> it's used a lot in sci-fi yeah, pop culture and i think it's all the time we kind of know in the general sense that it means tiny things but we never question <laughs> further than that because it sounds complicated and while it is i think if you're researching it i think it's not as complicated as it actually could be um So the quantum, according to Wikipedia, in physics, a quantum or plural quanta is the minimum amount of any physical entity involved in an interaction. The fundamental notion that a physical property can be quantized is referred to the hypothesis of quantization, which I'll come on to later. Um, And it basically means that the magnitude of the physical property can take only discrete values consisting of integer multiples of that one quantum. Essentially, Mm -hmm. if that made no sense, it basically means what's the smallest component of a physical component of an interaction we can measure and then look at physics from that point of view. Would you say? Yeah. I I would, would, (coughs) with my knowledge. Yeah. (laughs) I would say, I would agree with that, yeah. And I think there's an important thing to kind of touch upon whilst before we begin is you mentioned classical physics earlier. And yes. honestly, I didn't even know what that was, despite having done a podcast for a bit. I've, I've come into the terms, but I'd never actually looked at oh, what is classical physics. So classical physics is the collection of theories that existed before the advent of quantum mechanics. Uh, so that was around the the time of Einstein, Max Planck. Uh, these kinds of great physicists that we look back on now. And it describes mm-hmm. many aspects of nature at the ordinary scale. So the scale that we tend to to look at things. But unfortunately, classical physics is not sufficient for describing them at the small, i.e. atomic and subatomic scales. So that's where quantum mechanics comes in. And it's the fundamental theory in physics that provides a description of classical physics at the subatomic, well, uh, scale, at the atomic subatomic scale. Um, Theory, yeah. You say quantum mechanics. It's called quantum theory as a a general group. Quantum mechanics is is a specific thing within quantum theory. Yes, it is. Sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. So we get... Because I didn't didn't realise there was like, there's like, you said there's, there's classical physics, which is a group such as like biophysics, fluid dynamics, classical dynamics, other yes. physics, statistical physics. Like that is a whole group of classical physics. Uh, but then there's also like modern physics as well. 
which quantum yeah. theory is part of, but then you've got like solid state physics, general relativity is actually part of modern physics, nuclear physics is modern physics, and high energy physics is part of modern physics. Yeah, so it's kind of any, anything before that was discovered or described before we could measure the atomic subatomic is considered mm. classical. Um, and I think, and now we're into modern physics and also quantum theory is just a way of looking at that in a in a very specific angle, i.e. at the, the subatomic mm. level. Mm. Um, so what we get, if we, if we go to classical physics, to quantum, so I think quantum mechanics is specifically looking at classical physics problems at the atomic level, if I'm correct. This is what Wiki tried to tell me anyway. Um, <laughs> so... Classical physics to quant, and, and I think quantum mechanics is again one of those words I've heard. I'm like, what is that? But it's essentially just looking at classical physics that's been quantized. So, what that means is with better technology and understanding, we're able to take classical physics and quantize it to this newer understanding that gives us quantum mechanics. And it's just a new way of processing these old ideas. And quantized, quantization? Quantization, quantization. There we go. Quantization. Yeah, quantization. Bloody hell. Um, is a fundamental concept in physics that deals with the discrete or chunk-like nature of certain properties in the physical world. It says it suggests that some quantities or properties could only exist in well-defined amounts, rather than having a continuous range of values. And one way to think of this is. A staircase with fixed steps. If you're trying to climb a staircase, each step has a specific height, and you can only be on one step at a time. You you can't be halfway between the steps, right? You can't exist there. If you've got both feet on the steps, you're not halfway between them. So, if you took an atom or a, a photon, a particle of light, you can discreetly count them. There's one of them. There's two of them. There's three of them. There can't be 1.2 photons because there's nothing smaller than a photon so one of the most famous examples um of quantization is in quantum mechanics which is the branch of physics that describes the behavior of particles at the smallest scales okay that's what quantum mechanics is um according to quantum mechanics certain properties of particles such as energy momentum and angular momentum are quantized so you can take the electron energy in atoms and an electron can only exist in a specific, in a specific energy state or level. Um, and then you can measure that as discrete values rather than, oh, that's 15% of the way towards something. No, it's one of them, it's two of them. It's however many of them there are, but they're countable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that blew my mind. Slightly made it easier to understand after I had processed that. Yeah. What, what about you? What, what have you been looking at in the quantum well, I realm? Thought I'd, I'd dip into like the, 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 the biggest popular culture reference that is Schrodinger's cat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because if you didn't know, Schrodinger came up, this is one of my fun facts, is that he came up with the term quantum entanglement. Oh, did he? Good on him. Yeah, or as he liked to call it, Verschranken Verschlank Kung, because he was German. Oh, oh classic. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, one of my other fun facts we'll be talking about Ant Man was that he avoids being disintegrated by Thanos because he was in the quantum realm. Or he was just one of the people not being snapped. Yeah, that, that's that's he was one of the he was the half one of the half. Yeah, which makes sense. <clears throat> One one of my other like realistic fun facts about the whole disintegrating Thanos snap was like half of the gut gut bacteria that the survivors had would also be disintegrated. Oh yeah. So anybody that did survive would have had like three months of horrendous diarrhea oh. when their body and their gut bacteria had to build itself back up. I love theories like that. Um, have you seen <laughs> uh, a recent theory that comes Lord of the Rings that Frodo doesn't know Legolas's name? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's like, Aragorn. Yeah. Hey, Gimli, how's it going? Lagos is like, nods. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like he goes to say something and then doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And the only thing Legolas says to him throughout the entire trilogy is, and my bow. Yeah, which, <laughs> which is understandable, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Because they, they didn't really spend any time... Actually, so I don't, I don't believe that's true at all. Because when they in are the movies, sparring and training in the movies, like when they're going over the mountains, when all the bats come out of... Um, Oh, I can't remember the, the mountain they come from. Yeah, oh, when they when they that, when they yeah, and they they have to hide under the rocks. Yeah, Legolas is with them then, and they're learning to fight. And obviously, Legolas being with you know, Boromir as well, the, right? One of the one of the best fighters. Yeah, they would have yeah. they would all have all trained, and he would have known their names. So yeah, yeah, no, I don't I don't think it holds up, but it's, it's funny, funny. But it does not. Yeah, yeah. I think what's off screen as well as on screen. But if it's on on screen, yeah, he only says my bow. <laughs> that's not even to him really that's no. just generally to the room he's just like well this is why i'm here right <laughs> yeah and my bow do me yep okay so well yeah show is a cat uh what was it and what did it mean how did it work uh it was intended to, as a thought experiment as discussed of the epr uh article which is the Einstein Podosky Rosen paradox article, um, and it essentially was it was named after obviously Einstein, obviously Rosen, the people that wrote the article themselves, and it highlighted the counterintuitive nature of quanta superpositions in which quantum systems such as an atom or photon can exist as a combination of both multiple states corresponding to different possible outcomes. Yes. Like a wave and also a particle. Uh, Sergei's cat is a thought experiment, sometimes described as paradox, devised by the Austrian physician Erwin Schrodinger in 1935, all those years ago, during the course of the discussion with Albert Einstein. It illustrates what we saw as the problem of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics applied to everyday objects. The scenario presents a hypothetical cat that may be simultaneously both alive and dead. Uh, a state known as quantum superstition as a result of being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur. Yeah. We do have a whole episode about paradoxes, do we? Do we not? Do we? we I do think paradoxes? we do. Yeah, we did paradoxes. It's uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Episode 10. Wow. So Back if, in you, the day. if you like... Yeah, if you, wanna, if you like paradoxes, I want to have a whole thing about paradoxes, like the grandfather paradox. Go Episode 10, it's great. The thought experiment is uh, often featured in theoretical discussions of the interpretation of quantum mechanics, particularly in situations involving the measurement problem. Uh, Sergio coined the term the entanglement in the course of the development of the thought experiment. The prevailing theory, called the Copenhagen interpretation, says that quantum system remains in a superposition until it is interacted with or is observed by the external world. When that happens, the superposition collapses into one or another of the possible definite states. The EPR experiment shows that a system with multiple particles separated by a large distance can be in such superpositions. Schrodinger and Einstein exchanged letters about the Einstein's EPR article, in the course of which Einstein pointed out that the states of an unstable keg of gunpowder will, after a while, contain a superposition of both exploded and unexploded states. Right. An interesting, interesting twist. That is the twist. No, he's saying like if that was the case, could you have an an exploded and unexploded states? With oh, that I see. Theory? Until it's measured. Yeah. And like, but is could that, that where could that, could that be? Could that an, be an actual thing that happens? But the, the thing that Schrodinger is trying to, I think, point out in this thought experiment is is ha, ha, the problem of the Copenhagen interpretation being applied to like normal size things, our size things, and why it has to be only on a quantum level. So you can't. Yeah, but it's also it. to make it kind of more accessible to the the normal person, right? To try and understand what what's going on, because we can actually think about a cat potentially in a box <laughs> as well, right? We can't. It's hard for us to visualize atoms. That's not what he was trying to do. Okay, that's what we use it for. Yeah, but that's not what he was trying to do. He oh, was trying to illustrate a problem that he saw with the Copenhagen interpretation being applied to 
everyday objects. Why oh, I work. see. Yeah. All right. I had no idea that was the case. I thought there's always <laughs> been like an explanation of this is how you can think of superpositions. Mm-hmm. I didn't no. think realize it was him being like, ah, oh, this is the issue here. Oh, well, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, got, I've got the whole excerpt, but I'm not going to read what he wrote about the whole. <laughs> a cat is penned up in a still chamber along with the following devices. Because it's, it's a Geiger counter as well, because there's radioactive substance within it. Yeah, it's basically there's a radioactive poison inside and then yeah. you never know if the cat's dead until you open it, right? Yeah, because so, so, it's, it's a tiny bit of radioactive substance, so small that perhaps in the course of an hour, of hour one of the atoms decay, but also with equal probability, perhaps none. If it happens, the counter tube discharges uh, through a relay, releases a hammer that shatters a small flask of hydrochloric acid. If one has left this entire system f- for an hour, one would say that the cat is still alive if, me- meanwhile, no atom has decayed. First atomic decay would have poisoned it. Yeah, and the 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 important thing there relates to probability, because probability is used a lot to determine these kinds of things. So after an hour, it has an equal probability of discharging and not. Um, and probabilities are used a lot in quantum theorem. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I asked myself, and you mentioned it earlier, or the, the how we know the, this is the this seems to be the case, is. How do we know superpositions are real? How can something exist in two states? Well, one of two states, potentially. And then it only collapses into one of them when we look at it. Mm -hmm. Because without measuring beforehand, how can can we know? But they actually managed, did manage to test this in the double slit experiment. um, Which some of you would have heard of before. We've definitely memed about it on the old Instagram before. Um, Mm. So in in modern physics, the double slit experiment is a demonstration that light and other matters can display characteristics both classically defined as waves and as particles. So the experiment goes as such. In a, a beam of particles, typically either electrons or photons, something that we can measure, is directed towards a barrier that has two narrow slits cut into it, horizontally or vertically, it doesn't really matter, but they're parallel to each other. Behind the barrier is a screen that allows us to record the pattern of particles that pass through the slits and reach the screen. When the particles are sent through the double slits one by one, something happens that we did not expect. So you'd imagine if you shoot a particle through the slits, one slit at a time, um, that particles would just come out the other side as particles. But actually, instead of observing two distinct bands of particles on the screen corresponding to each of the slits, there exists an interference pattern. Uh, You can think of this like a wave interfering with each other. They consist of alternating bands of light and dark regions. And it turns out that each particle passing through the slit behaves as if it were a wave spreading out and then interfering with itself, with constructive interference performing bright bands and destructive interference um, showing dark bands. Even as you might think of foam and non-foam at the beach with waves crashing into each other. The important thing about the double slit experiment is that it demonstrates that particles have a dual nature because they act like a wave but they can also act like a particle. So when the particles are not observed or measured, they exhibit this interference pattern. But when an attempt was made to determine which slit the particle goes through, and they would do this by placing a detector or measuring devices near the slits, the interference pattern disappeared and and the particles started behaving like distinct particles again, creating two separate bands on the screen behind it just mirroring the slits in the barrier so this is how we understand that superposition superpositions can exist and that when you go to measure them one of them becomes true and in this instance they always become particles when you measure them yeah 
now Why explain it like I'm five explanation. Yeah. <clears throat> now I okay, wonder. My my follow up question to that as a five year old would be: Does everything always become one thing when it's measured? Does that make sense? So in this instance, the superposition is either a wave or a particle, and when we measure it, it always becomes a particle. So does it? Does everything have that predictable measurement quality to it? I don't think a five-year-old would be asking those questions, Tom. I think you're being a bit ridiculous, to be honest. Well, uh, what I mean by that is my the curious side <laughs> of my brain is wants that question answered. The curiosity that we, yeah. we lose as we age. Bloody education systems. <laughs> yeah. So do you want my, do you want my explain like I'm five <laughs> quantum positioning explanation? Absolutely. Yeah, please. Imagine you have a special toy that can be at two places at once. Let's say it's a toy car. Usually, when you look at the car, it's either on the table or under the table. But in quantum superpositioning, the car can be both on the table and under the table at the same time. It's like having a magic power where the car can exist in two different places until we actually look at it. It's kind of like when you play hide and seek and you're hiding in two different hiding spots at once, which would be a great thing to have because then when they open one, you're actually in the other. This car is in a fuzzy state of being in two places until we observe or check where it is. Here's the tricky part. As soon as we look at the car, it will only be in one place. It's like the car has to choose where, it, where, <laughs> where to be once we see it. So if we look under the chair, it will magically decide to be there. And if we look on the table, it will decide to be there instead. Uh, quantum superposition is a strange and interesting idea. Now, you know, scientists used to study tiny particles. Oh, so it's, it's, where, it's, it's wherever you look it is. Yeah. Oh, but it That's actually is in both until you look at it and then it's there. Yeah. What if you looked at both at the same time? Not see, possible. a five-year-old would ask that question. <laughs> yeah, but th then you'd be like, it's not actually ever possible to observe two different things at the same time. Ah, uh, true. It's not how phone works, is it? Ah, uh, true say. Yeah. Um, true say. And this lines up with entanglement quite nicely which I've, I've got a little bit on here which is so we've got our superpositions and things can exist in one state or the other let's say um and quantum entanglement is quite interesting because it describes a fairly strange correlation that happens between particles sometimes so sometimes properties of particles can become interconnected when they interact with each other in such a way that the state of one particle is instantaneously linked to the state of another particle regardless of that that distance between them and mm -hmm. it's directly to do with their quantum state or this quantum superposition and it means when you're looking at a system you cannot measure or describe it independently because the individual particles are linked to each other so the particles exist in a joint or entangled state where the properties of one particle are linked to another. Once they are entangled, the quantum states have also become entangled as well. So if I have a fuzzy car that's either above or below the chair, and I also have a fuzzy helicopter that's either flying in the sky or on top of the table, and they are quantumly entangled, if I look at where the car is, then it will d directly determine where the helicopter is. Does that make sense? I'm, <clears throat> I'm very confused. Okay. Let's uh, go I back to... Entanglement was like the effects. No. So it's all to do but with like superposition. They're, they're <clears throat> it's the form of like what well, they're connected in a very special manner because so when you start with the, the the toy thing that's what i've got when i, when I heard it, like the explain like i'm five yeah so like if you have two toy cars that was probably a they, better analogy to be fair rather than using <laughs> yeah, a separate toy and, and they they share a quantum entanglement a special bond yeah if you do one thing to one car like make it spin in a certain direction the other car will instantly start spinning in the opposite direction exactly even if it's like impossibly far away because they have this entanglement that 
can be different different types of entanglement i guess um but that's the way that these two cars you know work and i guess that is what it means with um particles at a quantum level if they like if one spins this way another one is going to spin in another direction however infinitely far away exactly so let's say you have two spinning tops one of them you're spinning anti-clockwise one of them you're spinning clockwise and you're not looking at it you just know it's spinning and you know there's another spinning top out there somewhere in the world that you're also not looking at but you know it's spinning if you look at your spinning top and you see it's spinning clockwise it the other superpositions so either counterclockwise or clockwise has collapsed into a singular one of them and the other spinning top immediately collapses into the other superposition so that they're completely resolved so that both states then exist at the same time and distance has no effect on these things um so this aspect has been experimentally verified through something that's called Bell's theorem and its subsequent experiments. But one thing people always ask is it doesn't allow for the transfer of information faster than the speed of light. They're like, oh, can we use this to talk to each other? Um, although the measurement of one entangled particle affects the state of another, it does not allow for the transmission of information because the measurement outcome is random and unpredictable until the measurement has been made. So each time you look at it, you don't know if it's going to be counterclockwise spinning or clockwise spinning. Thus, you can't send that information. Maybe one day if we can manipulate the superposition, but that requires measuring and then it's already predetermined what it's going to be. I presume. Yeah. <laughs> you presume. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did ask wiki and even chat gpt how particles become entangled to see if this is something we, we knew and i couldn't get a clear answer um and it was just saying that when particles interact with each other they have a chance to become entangled so i was like well how do particles interact with each other when they're really far away and no clear answer so i don't know if it's they accidentally run into each other <laughs> You know, like particles accidentally like smack into each other and then end up really far away from each other after that and have become entangled. Yeah, like collide. Yeah, if they collide, get entangled and then, you know, separate, don't see each other for a few months. <coughs> but then they get a phone call like, oh, you need to be spinning clockwise, please. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, can you just like, uh, yeah, go that, that way. I'm go well, yeah. I'm going clockwise, you go counterclockwise. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I guess it's just something that's not that clearly understood yet. But it's absolutely wild. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, Mitch, completely questions our understanding of how things happen. It's, it's a really weird thing to try and get your head around, I think. Like, it's just not a normal, yeah. how can something exist it, the, in the two states at once? The, what they say? The, the current frontier of science. Yeah. And... I think we exist in this spectrum where it's like, from all our measurements, our current knowledge of understanding only allows us to say that these superpositions exist. Maybe once we understand things better, we have better technology, we'll actually be able to define what is causing this apparent appearance of a superposition, right? But for now, it's just this kind of unknown, well, things exist in two states until you look at it so deal with it but maybe that will change in the future we just need uh, quantum sensing devices yeah really small ones to be able to work it what's the what's the field of like quantum computing coming along like is there any of that going on i swear oh, i've heard of it but... there's there's lots of stuff going on with quantum computing at the moment um it's it's difficult because they they just say quantum computing and like blah 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 big buzzwords quantum computing it's like it's it's a difficult one to explain because you you've got like any computational problem that can be solved by a classical computer can also be solved in principle by a quantum computer. And conversely, quantum computers obey the Church Turing thesis that is any computational problem can be solved by a quantum computer can also be solved by a classical computer. That that back and forth exists. So it's right. you're not solving anything different, and one must be able to solve the other. Well, this means that quantum computing 
provide no additional advantages over classical computings in terms of computability, because they are the same technology. Okay. They do, in theory, enable the design of algorithms for certain problems that have a significantly lower time complexities than known classical algorithms, purely because how it's built and how it's set up and all the right algorithms that go through it. Right. So notably, quantum computers are believed to be able to solve, quickly solve certain problems that no classic computer could solve in any feasible amount of time. Okay, so it's not that they so, couldn't do it, it's just time-based. Yeah, it's just time-based, and that, that's all really computing is, is, like making it quicker, make it do better things. Um, there's a feat known as quantum supremacy. It's the study of computational complexity of problems with respect to quantum computing is known as quantum complexity theory, is what that is. Okay. So you're not going to be able to do anything different apart from do everything impossibly quicker, like things that we just wouldn't have been able to do ever because of time exists. <laughs> I guess we'll it's like the same from like the, the jump of mental maths to computational maths, right? Yeah, you can probably do some stuff in your head, but it's going to be so much quicker if you just use a computer. Yeah. Okay. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. One thing they're really scared of is obviously um, quantum using quantum computers to break um, encryption. It's a big thing. Big thing at the moment. Um, how, how many quantum computers are out in the world for that to be an actual <laughs> risk? Do you know what I mean? Excuse like, me. Who has access to quantum computers? Uh, you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised. Okay. Because um, it's it's now at the level that it's being industrialized, commoditized, right. put into like so you can actually buy them. Whereas oh, years, really? years ago, it was like you research like the beginning of the internet would be research only but now i think you can actually start like buying and building them oh wow yeah which is a scary thing um and there are a lot of high level um government and uh boards i can't go into too much detail about this actually uh and now beginning to get concerned with it enough to uh, start research, pay or pay or fund research into quantum encryption and quantum right. cryptography in regards to how it works with like their area. Okay. And running like um, doing risk assessments, and that kind of stuff, because it's now, it's now beginning to be like, okay, if, well, if they can get into messages and encryption and that kind of stuff, you could potentially like bring down the, the, the power grid for countries oh, right, because for sure that's how they send messages like you could just uh, actively just get into smart meters for example because they send encrypted messages from the smart meter into the main let's just call that main server and they do that with encryption so you could essentially just turn off people's power via if they had smart meters if they had dumb meters then <laughs> that's a difficult thing to do um but yeah but crypto, crypto, quantum cryptography is is an interesting one because it, it builds on the things that we've already talked about. It's a type of cryptography that uses the principles of quantum mechanics, as we always said, to encrypt and transmit data in a way that cannot be hacked. It's based on the idea that quantum particles can exist in multiple states at the same time and that this property can be used to create a secure communication channel. And I will go back to using Alice and Bob in a second because Alice and Bob is it's A and B is what you use. We love Alice and so, Bob. Alice, there's another. I can't remember what we use for like. Is it like Charlie? Is there's a third one if you having like um, a malicious actor? But the most common type of quantum cryptography is quantum key distribution (QKD). And in QKD, you have two parties, Alice and Bob, and they share a pair of quantum particles that are entangled. That means that the particles are linked together in such a way that any measurements made on the one particle will affect the other particle, no matter how far apart they are. Alice and Bob use the entangled particles to create a shared secret key, which this key is used to encrypt or substitute communication between Alice and Bob. So if an attacker tries to eavesdrop on the communication by looking at it, they will inevitably disturb the entangled particles and Alice and Bob will be able to detect the intrusion. 
Oh. Because to look at it, you have to inter- interact with it. In fe- so, so say that you've got it's kind of using two it as toy a de- cars, yeah. right? And they're really far apart. And Alice and Bob are looking at the cars. And then suddenly one of the cars starts spinning. Alice will know. And then Bob will know because the other one will start spinning. And they'll be like, well, we haven't sent a message. Why are these yeah. two things spinning? It's because a third party is interacting with it. Oh, I see. Makes yeah. sense. So it's still in its very early stages of development, but its potential to revolutionize the way we secure communication, which would be great. It is immune to attack by conventional computers because they just wouldn't have the <laughs> processing power. Right. And it could be used to protect very sensitive data from even the most powerful quantum computers because of how it works. So that's why you have this quantum computing arms race between the computing and the cryptography. That's what people are really, really scared about. There's, uh, there's advantages obviously. So secure against being attacked. It's immune to attack by conventional computers. So a lot of what hacking is this day and age is like you build upon stuff that has been in the past. There are like legacy um, vulnerabilities and you build upon that and you make something new. Essentially, it would be like wiping the slate clean because you would have to think of new ways of of attacks. That's, That's one of the beauties of it. Um, and obviously the next one is the advantage is it protects sensitivity from even the most powerful quantum computers. Downsides, very early stages of development, not available <laughs> at all. Uh, and it can be very expensive to implement because all of these things have costs. Um, so yeah. But if you had like military, military grade encryption, you would, yeah, they would, I would think they would start using quantum cryptography quite early on because yeah. they always use that kind of stuff. Not already. If not already, and they're just not telling us. Yeah. Like, like I always say, the, the SR-71, the, the, the airplane that its design was to be to one blip on the radar, so they didn't know what direction it was traveling in, that was how many years ago? Many, uh, many, 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 many years ago. Was it the 70s? Ago. I believe it was, yeah. Um, and that was like one of the fastest, the Blackbird. Uh, 1966. Oh, yeah, I thought 60s. it had to be around that time. Um, so that was what 60 years ago. What exists now? Yeah, well, actually, I saw an article about this. Um, so apparently, the US had given Ukraine some uh, a special one of their most advanced UAVs, and essentially, what it is, it's a little drone that flies around and it can make itself look like anything on the radar like specific types of aircraft oh that makes sense yeah so that it can create diversions and things like that um and it can also make it look like there are multiple aircraft in a certain area right okay so we've gone from just having one blip on the radar so you don't know where it's going to completely just tricking radar into thinking there's stuff there when there isn't Mm -hmm. um apparently that was going down last week in uh the war over there and why russia lost a lot of uh, air to ground defenses um so yeah so there was a rumor of the uh sr 91 right which was a never confirmed or denied another recon aircraft that could apparently go mach 5 damn yeah. Crazy. What I love about this, this is complete, <laughs> the SL-71 being an absolutely phenomenal piece of technology, um, was that it needed a Spitfire engine to start it. Did it? Yeah, to get it going. And when it was sat on the tar- tarmac, it would leak fuel because the speed it was going and the heat it got to expanded the metal so much that if they built it without it leaking it would essentially rip itself apart. So they built it for the expansion. That's mad. Yeah, crazy. Good things. Anything about Getting into the whole flight, flight and stuff. Quantum drives. This is, this is sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi things. We reached it. We reached it, yeah. So it's not even a real type of engine. It is a fictional type of engine that allows the spacecraft to travel faster than the speed of light. The idea is of it, Right, for you. Well, apparently, so I, I've heard rumors that it's actually in the early stages of development. 
Oh, those are some big rumours. Yeah. That's a claim. Yeah. So that is a claim. But I, I saw one place that when I was doing my research um, and nowhere else. Oh. So I don't really know how reputable that is. Like some people think that uh, it it's it start the research into it is has started. That that's the thing. Well, I can imagine that being yeah. the case, but actual development of a physical thing, I'd be skeptical skeptical about. Yeah, especially if there's only one article on it. Yeah, so I, I didn't actually realize this. Uh, the UK government, in all its failings, um, released a national quantum strategy, which is a 10-year vis- vision and actions for the UK to be the leading quantum-enabled economy by 2033. They released it um, March of this year. Oh. No, I'd never so heard of that. Have a look at that. Yeah, I want to go have a look at that. The national quantum strategy, the NQS. Um it has some 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 what it wants to achieve, which I think is quite the the UK quantum sector being a booming thing. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Always a good read. But um, we'll see how that survives the different government changes as those things do. <laughs> yeah. um, the idea behind uh, a quantum drive is that it manipulates the fabric of space time and creating a bubble around the ship that allows it to travel through a region of space. That's compressed in the front and expands behind it, creating a warp bubble. As uh, I think it's in Star Trek. Yeah, Futurama. I want to say. Oh yeah, Futurama as well. Yeah. Um, oh no, Futurama is it moves the universe around the ship. Does it doesn't actually move the ship? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it uses <laughs> Nibbler's excrements. Yeah. Um, but th- there's some issues with it. But apparently, if if you actually built a quantum drive and it malfunctioned it would create a rift in space-time that could essentially destroy the ship and everything in its path. It'd just be like a runaway black hole. Yeah, essentially. Um, Which is terrifying. (laughs) Which is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, Is it possible, like, theoretically, is it possible? That's my question. Or is this like a solid thing? It's it's like, oh yeah, this can happen. <clears throat> this can happen if we have the technology to manipulate it in in X way. In a certain way, okay. Yeah. Well, we predict we it would be the case with our current understanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, maybe one day, everyone's yeah, be zooming around that. in their cars. Yep. Creating rifts in space time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that would look like. Would we be able to comprehend? The ripping of the fourth dimension. Ooh. I don't know. Would our minds just break? Maybe yeah. that's it. That's how it has the end. Lovecraft was right all along. We just turned yeah. into man- maniacal beings. Because <laughs> our car backfired. <laughs> <laughs> you, you replaced the oil in your... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Your spaceship. <laughs> oh, dear. That's funny. All right. Uh, well, coming up to the hour, do you have anything else you want to pipe on through? No, I think I think we covered a fair a fair bit. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. Cool. Uh, well, we'll leave it there then. That'll bring us to a wrap. If you can, don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers. If you want more information, fun, science, you can follow us on Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod. And of course, we're here on any directory you happen to be listening to us on right now. So if you can give us a rating, a like, follow, share, comment, whatever it is, we'd appreciate that absolutely massively. Um, any sign-offs from you? No, not from me. All right. We'll catch you guys the next week. Peace. Indeed. Ciao for now.